Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We'll continue this evening with our reading from the Krishna Sandarbha of Sri Jiva Goswami. Again, just to bring us up to date, we're in a section where Jiva Goswami is uh, substantiating the power of the Parivash Sutra in the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavat Purana, giving it as an, an analogous uh, presentation of the fourfold divisions of an army. And this evening we'll be finishing the first of those four divisions, which is supportive statement. So in this section, Jiva Goswami has been providing uh, various verses uh, from the Srimad Bhagavatam and showing that these verses directly point to uh, Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna. In the next section, which we may also uh, get to this evening, he's going to show that all the major discourses presented in the Bhagavat Purana are discourses about Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So we won't jump ahead. We'll finish this first. Uh, Kishore Dakshai Vishnu confirms Krishna as the original Bhagavan. Jiva Goswami writes as follows. Sri Sukha clearly confirms the exact point in the context of Krishna's avataric descent. And then he quotes a verse from the 10th canto, 1st chapter. And this verse is in relationship to Lord Brahma's receiving information from Krishna as to his descent. So the it's actually two verses uh, from the first chapter of the 10th canto, verses 21 and 23. Upon hearing a voice intoned in the Akasic field, while he was in Samadhi, Brahma spoke to the devas. So before we quote what Brahma exactly spoke to the demigods that were with him, there's a nice explanation here as a footnote, which I thought you'd enjoy, as far as what does this statement mean, a Cossack field. In his Brihad Vaishnav Tosani commentary on this verse, Sri Sanatan Goswami glosses the words Giram Gagane Samiritam, a voice intoned in the sky as Akasas, I'm sorry, Akasajam Adrista Vaktrikam, a voice arising out of Akasa, intoned by an invisible speaker. So this is from Sanatans Goswami's commentary on the 10th canto. He, he uses this term in his commentary, the Sanskrit term Akasa, Akasic field. Akasa is an extraordinarily fine substance. The slightest vibration of ether register indelible impressions upon it. The Akasic field refers not only to space as the cosmic field of light, but to a dimension of consciousness that contains a vibrational record of all knowledge. The voice that Brahma heard was not perceptible in the over-material sky, but in the Akasic field of consciousness. Otherwise, there would be no point 
in specifying that he heard the voice while in the transcognitive state of awareness known as samadhi. Moreover, had the voice been intoned in the gross material sky, it would have been heard by all present and not only Brahma. Consequently, Kashura Dakshai Vishnu's communicates with Brahma through the medium of the Akasic field, which is accessed specifically in the state of Samadhi. So we're talking about very fine matter. At least it's being presented in that kind of a terminology. So if we look back to our early education, we learned that, you know, we have light rays and then we have invisible rays that are the same thing as light, but we can't see them like x-rays. And so similarly, when we, you know, and we look at uh, sound vibration, there's sound vibration and there's also sound vibration, which is beyond the capacity of our sense of hearing, but the dogs hear it. So they, they're tuned into a different portion of a spectrum which encompasses all sound. If you take the concept even further, we get into the, the, uh, an understanding of, of uh, physics wherein everything is conceived of uh, as a vibrational field. So you have, you know, you have that part of the field, which is the, the part that is seen and then the part that's heard and like that. So not being well versed in the sciences of subtle physics, just having some slight remembrance from 50 or 60 years ago of what we heard in school and some understanding at that time of what Einstein was talking about as far as the fields, uh, fields of matter. So that gives us some idea of what this word, which is being presented here, is referring to. A field of cognition, which, uh, which is only available to one who's in a super cognitive trance that's entered into samadhi. There's a field, at least this is what Sanatana Goswami has put forth, there's a field of sound vibration which exists there which you can tune into if you're in samadhi. So the Akasic field refers not only to space as a cosmic field of light, but to a dimension of consciousness that contains a vibrational record of all knowledge. So we can imagine, we can only imagine, I can only imagine from my perspective, but we're talking about when you get to that level of, of, of an involvement in, in, and are able to completely turn off the knowledge acquiring senses, the working senses, and simply enter into a state of samadhi, a whole world is going to open up to you. So here we're talking about an aspect of that world where 
all knowledge is existing in a very fine form of sound vibration. And that that, that level of knowledge was what was used as the means of conveyance of the message from Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu to Brahma. So if we remember the Leela, Brahma and the Devas went to the to the beach at the ocean of milk and they made their appeal and Brahma, you know, their appeal, we need Bhumi needs your help. She's overburdened by demoniac leadership. So much so that we were going to make an appeal to you if you could please help in this regard and uh, give us some information as to how we could deal with the situation. So Brahma, Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu did not make himself immediately visible before the Devas and Lord Brahma. So then Brahma recognized where there's going to be some more I need to enter into samadhi and try to communicate. And he did, and he got a response. So now, after receiving that response in samadhi, he's going to relay what he was cognizant of to the other demigods. So those are the two verses that are being used here by Jiva Goswami. So the verses read as follows. Brahma spoke to the Devas. O immortal beings, hear from me at once the words of the Supreme Person and then act accordingly without delay. The Supreme Person is already well aware of the plight of the earth. You really didn't need to. <laughs> He's tuned into everything that's happening. Uh, you should take birth among the Yadus accompanied by his partial expansions, Amsai, until the almighty ruler of all rulers walks upon the earth, relieving her of her burden through his own potency of time. The supreme person, who is directly Bhagavan, will personally appear in the house of Vasudev. Let the wives of the Suras take birth for his pleasure. You should all take birth. You should all come to the earth. This is going to be, it doesn't really, you know, you're going to be able to, to associate with the Supreme Lord personally. And he's inviting you into his association. He's told me in this, in Samadhi, come, take birth in the Yadus, participate in my Leela. I'll relieve the burden of the earth. Bring along your wives. They can enter into my wives and enjoy my association in that way. So that's going to be all elaborated upon as we go further into Jiva Goswami's Anucheta here. So now Jiva begins to explain exactly what Brahma meant. It's an uh, interesting, uh, interesting Anucheta. The word, and now he's taking specific words from the slokas, that were spoken by Brahma to the Devas. The word Purushim in the first verse means by the Purusha, 
Jiva says, this means that the words were spoken by Krishna himself, who is non-different from the Purusha in the form of Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu. Wait, I thought we were talking about Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu. So how is Jiva arriving at the conclusion that actually what Brahma heard was coming directly from Krishna, Bhagavan Sri Krishna himself, not from Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu, who was petitioned in the prayers. So the reason is that Brahma was thinking of Krishna, even though he's, he was praying to Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu at the shore of the ocean of milk, his prayers were directed to Lord Krishna. So it would be something like, you are living in a kingdom. And, of course, the king has various ministers. And you don't, you living in a, in a village or a hamlet outside of the, of the main royal palace have no access to the king directly. But the ministers come to your village or hamlet from time to time on behalf of the king. So your making a petition of a minister is the same as a petition to the king himself. It's going to be conveyed to the king by the minister. So we can look at this situation in that same way. Brahma's thought was, I'm talking to Krishna. I'm conveying my prayer. My request is to Krishna. And Kashira Dakshai Vishnu can certainly convey it, pass it on, because he it is his part and parcel. It's his, he is his expansion. That's the reason that even though the circumstances were such that Brahma was petitioning Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu from an external viewpoint, internally his prayer was to Krishna directly and his response was from Krishna and Kashira Dakshai Vishnu was just the agency. This is in keeping with Brahma's own statement. I evolve the universe as appointed by him, and Shiva dissolves it under his supervision. While he himself, the upholder of the three potencies, Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, preserves it as the Purusha. Jiva continues in his annotative. Brahma repeats the speech of the Purusha beginning with Puraivati. According to the statement, Krishna, who is the supreme Purusha, himself appeared. The word Pumsa, instrumental of Puman, means by the original Purusha, Adi Purusha. Or in other words, by Sri Krishna, who is Swayam Bhagavan, the word the word Amsai, accompanied by his partial expansions, means, quote, You should take birth, along with Krishna's associates, Parsidas, such as Sridham, Sudham, Sriman Uddhava, and Satyaki, 
who are as parts in relation to him. For the most part, they, the people among the cowherds and the yadus, are described precisely in this manner as Davis, Parsidas. Then he quotes a verse from later in the 10th canto, first chapter. Nanda and all the cowherd men residing in Vraj, the wives of the cowherd men, Vasudeva and the Vrishnis, Devaki and the Yadava women, the kingsmen, relatives and friends of both Nanda and Vasudeva, and even those in the service of Kamsa are predominantly Devas. Devata Praya, i.e. eternal associates, Nitya Parsidas. So Krishna, when he comes, he brings all his eternal associates. They're the primary primary associates and in his Leela. Now, Krishna has extended this open invitation to the Devas, you take birth also, bring along your wives, participate in the Leela. So how they're going to participate in the Leela, that's going to be brought out a little bit by Jiva Goswami. And again, understand the, the context of what Jiva is presenting here is the fact that this term Purusha, because generally when we think of Purusha, we think of terminology related to the three Purusha avatars, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garba Dakshai Vishnu, Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So these are the Purushas. These are the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord. But in this instance, Brahma, Brahma's intent was to communicate with Bhagavan Sri Krishna through the medium of the Purusha Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. And the context here is not now we switch. The whole context is context of what's being discussed is switching to Krishna's Bhagavan Sri Krishna's descent. Once in a day of Brahma, his in his original form. So it's a very special circumstance. Jiva continues. His being the original Purusha. Of course, the original Purusha is Krishna. He is expressed in the second half of uh, verse 10.122, beginning with Saha. Because he is the supreme eminent Antaryami within all. He's the soul of all souls. The Purusha is a ruler, Ishvara, but Sri Krishna, the original Purusha, is the almighty ruler of rulers, Ishvara Reshvara. The Ishvara of all the Ishvaras is Krishna. Being the complete whole, even of the Purusha, who is Krishna's part. Just as it just as is intended by the word triadisha, the ruler of the three rulers. So this is another terminology 
applied to Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Try Adisha, the ruler of the three rulers. Try Adisha, from the third canto, 3.2.21, cited in Anacheta 76, meaning the master of the triads. The three gunas, goodness, passion, and ignorance. The three guna avatars, Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu. And the three Purusha avatars, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garbha Dakshai Vishnu, and Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So this terminology, Triadisha, is referring to those nine. He's the Lord of those nine, that triad. Sri Vasudev, Anakadundubi, also said the same thing. You and Balaram are not our sons, but are directly the rulers of Pradhan and Purusha. The phrase, Swakala Sakya, through his own potency of time, means by both his own intrinsic potency and by that of time, the earth's burden will be removed. The reason, reasoning stated in the third verse of the series, behind his being the almighty ruler of rulers, Ishvara Reshvara, is that he is directly Saksat Bhagavan, meaning Swayam Bhagavan. The sense is, it is pointless to pray to me, the Purusha, for the removal of the earth's burdens. I'm Krishna. The burdens of the earth, that's, that's child's play. I'm coming to engage in Leela. You made an appeal to Kashira Dakshai Vishnu, and he can easily remove the burden of the earth, but I'm coming because Brahma is praying to me. His appeal was to me, so I'm I'm going to descend now. It's just I accomplish many things with one task, so I am going to come, and you're gonna. I'm inviting you to come also, but understand, I'm coming for my leela, and relieving the burden of the earth. Well, that that will be a byproduct of my engaging in leela on planet Earth, Bhumi, in Raj Bhumi, I'll be engaging in Leela, and the burden of the Earth will be relieved just by my presence there. Jiva Go continues, For his, Krishna's pleasure, some of the wives of the Suras, Jiva's saying here, some of the wives of the demigods, such as the consort of Sri Upendra and Amsa Bhagavan should merge into Krishna's beloved, beloves. Just as all the diverse Amsas of the original Bhagavan Sri Krishna enter into him on the occasion of his direct avataric descent. So we know when Krishna descends, all of his Amsas merge into him and are present during his manifestation in a universe. So he's saying 
all the wives of the demigods, you, as as my parts and parcels enter into me, when my I descend and display my leela, you should also enter into all of my beloveds, my eternal associates. Tat Pareshisu, who are embodiments of his eternal, inseparable, supreme potency, when they too descend along with him. So when all Krishna's eternal lovers come, his consorts, when they descend, you enter into them. I don't know how that happens, but it has to be an avenue. And we're giving the idea of how it happens. It happens just as all of Krishna's various manifestations his different avataric descents enter into his form when he descends. Alternatively, Jiva says, the compound tat priyartham could be taken to mean for the purpose, artham, of rendering service to his beloveds, let them take birth. So he gives, he opens up the understanding and say it can be seen in, in two senses. They can either in one sense, this instruction to the wives of the demigods can mean you enter into my beloveds in order to engage in the Leela, or it can be taken, alternatively, Jiva says, it can be taken, you descend also and you serve my beloveds. By issuing this decree, which is not something ever requested by the Davis. I'm sorry, even requested. David Davis didn't ask for this. This is like a bonus. It's like you're working along as a demigod in the heavenly planets. You're, you know, managing and supplying all the needs for the other living entities in the universe. You're overseeing everything. You know, there's millions of demigods, you know, from the ones that... Uh, you know, open and close our eyelids to everything else imaginable. They they have their hand in everything that we have no idea how's it happening. How am I digesting that food? How is that baby growing in my belly? How is how is my heart pumping every day, even when I'm sleeping or in deep sleep? How 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 so? There's so many things that are happening in the world. And we're just talking about a few human bodies. What about all the other bodies? So the demigods have all these, through their mystic opulence and siddhas, they control so much of what appears to be beyond our control. And it is. We don't know how it is that we're we're forced by some, we're compelled by some force to breathe. We don't, we don't think about it. Oh, I've got to breathe now or I've got to turn blue. It's not like we think, oh, I got to breathe up oh, time for another breath. Oh, got to breathe it again. Got to let that one out. Are we thinking like that? Are we thinking the heart's got to keep going. Don't quit pumping. We're not thinking, but it's these things are going on. So this is the domain of those kinds of personalities. How they do that service 
exactly how all that transpires, well, that falls into a into another realm. But that's that's part of. We just hear in the Bhagavat Purana and other Puranas, we hear about the main players. You know, you hear about an Indra, Indra who controls the rain, brings the rain, and from the rain, the grain. And well, how's that? How's the seed open? Does the seed thinking now it's time to, oh, you know. <laughs> but we hear about Indra, Agni, fire, uh, Varuna, the ocean, water. So by issuing this decree, Jiva writes, which was not something even requested by the Devas. It's like all of a sudden you're doing your job and it's like, how would you like to take a holiday? The supreme personality of Godhead in his original form is descending into this universe and going to enact his Leela. Would you like to come? And I want you to come. Take birth amongst the Yadus. Have your wives take birth and serve my eternal beloves or enter into their forms, whichever way you want to look at what Krishna was instructing. Jiva gave us two alternatives. It is understood that the reason behind Bhagavad's intent to personally descend within the world was specifically to perform unique leelas with his beloveds who are his supreme devotees. So, I mean, the demigods have very, very exalted positions. The devas means that they're aware of their existence and they're aware of the existence of the supreme personality of Godhead. So it's like it's a paid vacation of Leela with Krishna. Like you get you get some time off and you can descend and you can partake in the Leela. You can view it. You can serve my servants and uh, please. So they didn't ask, oh, let me please take birth, as Jeeva's pointing out here. It was just, it's a free holiday to engage in Leela. This makes it evident that ridding the earth of her burden was to be only an incidental act, Jeeva writes. That was like, come on. <laughs> Like you're going to just it's a side thing. Who it's going to happen automatically. In this way, when it is said that the Shrutis, the sages of Danda Karanya, and the sons of Agni attain the position of Krishna's gopis, that too should be understood precisely along the lines of what has been explained here i.e. either they entered into the Nichasiddha gopis or attained the servitorship of them. So, Jiva's saying, when we read of the sages of Dandakaranya or the sons of Agni or the Shrutis personified becoming gopis, it needs to be seen in this sense, not that they directly became Krishna's gopis know that they were given the opportunity to serve the gopis or to enter into the gopis 
and serve in that capacity or observe in that capacity the loving exchanges between the Lord and his beloveds, being his eternal beloveds. In this regard, if the literal meaning of the above verse, 10.1.23, were to be accepted, i.e., that the wives of the Davis, Surastria, that's the words in the verse, would personally appear as Krishna's beloved gopis, it would contradict Uddhava's statement, glorifying the unique position of the gopis. And then Jiva quotes that statement. So in other words, if you're not going to accept what I'm, what I've, the conclusion that I've provided you here, as far as the wives of the demigods serving Krishna, if you're going to extend, instead take a literal translation of the verses where in the Bhagavatam where it said they become gopis, then we're going to, you're going to have a problem accepting it literally. You have to see it in the light of what I've said here. Otherwise, there's going to be a contradiction with the following verse of Uddhava. Who's going to contradict Uddhava? He's Krishna's counselor, so you better, you know, this is not going to work, Jeeva is saying. And the statement he quotes is by Uddhava is as follows. The grace bestowed upon the cowherd women of Raj, whose longing was fulfilled when Krishna danced with them in the Rasa festival, placing his stout arms around their necks, was not attained by Lakshmi, Sri, who is ever attached to his breast, nor by the celestial damsels. He directly says, the celestial damsels, who are favored by the fragrance and splendor of a lotus. How then could other women expect to receive such grace? Thus Jiva has spoken, I mean Nudava has spoken. If Lakshmi didn't get it, and then certainly any celestial damsels did not receive such a benediction. Jiva concludes this Anucheta as follows. Nor should it be conjectured that this statement regarding the appearance of the wives of the Suras implies that they attained the position of Krishna's wives in Dwarka instead, because it will be shown that they too belong to his own intrinsic potency. So Jiva's going to later on make it abundantly clear that when Krishna descends and we refer to his eternal associates, especially either the gopis, his beloveds, or his wives in Dwarka, all those personalities are his eternal associates, his internal shakti. That doesn't mean that others are not allowed to participate in the leela, but their participation is from an observing or servitude of his eternal associates. Uh, in the commentary, uh, one verse is quoted from the Padma Purana, which 
clarifies a little bit. Uh, the words Bhagavan and Purusha, when free of limiting modifiers, and we don't put any uh, upadis to the words, limiting adjuncts, uh, refer to Sri Vasudev Krishna, the supreme self of all. So a lot of what's been in the Yadachayana has been referring to the terminology of Purusha. So if you take away any excess contextual meaning, upadis, limiting adjuncts, away from the word Purusha or from the word Bhagavad, if we just take them in there as they are, they refer to Vasudev, Krishna. So I want to read one paragraph here, or two, from the commentary to finish up this evening. Again, just to clarify so we fully understand what the proper way to look at these, uh, this specific descent and the specific participation of the devas um, in the Lord's Leela. In the first, the first is that the compound Surastriya refers not just to any of the celestial women, but specifically to the consorts of the avatars of Vishnu found among the devas, such as the wife of Upendra, the younger brother of Indra. Vamana, of course, is Upendra. It is these concerts who are being indicated. Sri Jiva interprets the verb, verb sambhavantu, let them take birth as let them become merged. In his beloved, beloves. This is to say that the wife of Upendra and those of other avatars are requested to merge into the wives of Sri Krishna, such as Rukmini. On the occasion of Krishna's appearance on earth, all avatars merge into him. In like manner, the consorts of these avatars merge into Krishna's eternal consorts who appear along with him. So a little context here also to this this specific instruction. Not only are we talking about the demigods, we're talking about in the heavenly, in the all of the avatars of the Lord, such as Upendra. They also, those that have concerts, consorts, should, as the other avatars, come in and participate there with Krishna. They merge into Krishna. The consorts, their consorts, should merge with the wives of Krishna in Dwarka. Such a meaning of the verb bu with the prefix sam, sambhavantu, was also given in regard to verse 131 in Anucheta 1. That's of this Krishna Siddharva. Then he goes on. In Sri Jiva's alternate explanation, now we're talking about one of those two explanations as to what 
what they're to do. He interprets the phrase Tad Priyartham for his Krishna's pleasure as for the purpose, Artham, of rendering service to his Tat beloves, beloveds, Priyanam. This would mean that the Sura Stri, the wives of the Suras, the demigods, were commanded to take birth on earth to serve the gopis in Vrindavan and Krishna's wives in Dwarka. The wives of the Devas are devoid of the intrinsic eligibility necessary to become Krishna's beloveds or wives. They don't have, of their own merit, they don't have the qualification. The wives of Krishna are his eternal counterparts and direct embodiments of his own intrinsic power. Such a position is in no way directly attainable by anyone else. Anyone else in this context, of course, would be those uh, still uh, involved in the, in, in the Lord's external potency in any capacity. No jiva has the qualification to become a gopi. The gopis are manifestation of Bhagavan's intrinsic potency, while the jivas belong to the intermediary potency. And we'll conclude with this statement. In the, with this Anucheta, Sri Jiva Goswami concludes the topic of the spe- specification of Sri Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan, which was begun in Anucheta 28. In the following Anuchetas, he introduces a new subject, namely that the prime intention of all the major teachers and students in the Bhagavat Purana is to speak and hear about Sri Krishna. This subject continues until Anucheta 73. So for the next few Anuchetas from 44 to 73, we'll see this same emphasis on Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. And Jiva's going to point out that all the major narrations in the Bhagavat Purana are about Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So don't we will point out and go over the the major dialogues showing you Jiva's saying I'm going to show you they all are in regards to Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Any questions? Comments? I got something. Go ahead and ask. Well, I was thinking of the the wives of the avatars, and it makes sense that they would merge into Krishna's wives because just like uh, you know, because they're they're most likely, I would imagine, like Archie was partial incarnation of the goddess of fortune. Mm-hmm. So they're the the wives of the avatars are most likely some type of artaric avataric part of of Radha, the wives. Yeah. So that makes sense that when the avatars come and the women go back. And then the then for the demigods, it, then his other explanation seems to make sense. That mm-hmm. they would come as the servants. Mm-hmm. So like that one word would be... Seen in both lights, both. depending, yes. Thank you so much for your association.